This is Courage Cast. Faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. Well, hey, everybody, this is Eric, and I'm here with my friend Jeremy Rochford. Jeremy uh, and I are doing a walk and talk. Amazing. How about this, huh? Anyway, we are we are here uh, in a on a beautiful Nashville morning. It's around 10:15, 10, 10:30. Uh, we are uh, taking a walk. This is a little different podcast episode, but I like this idea and this concept. And you'll understand why we're taking a walk and why we're talking while we're walking. So I'll probably be the one that's really out of breath. Jeremy will be fine. So I'm going to hand the the phone to him, and I want to just ask you, Jeremy, um, the reason we're walking, the reason we're talking, first of all, we go to church together. Um, I uh, was introduced to you through church. Uh, you're doing a kind of a wellness series um, at church, and I'll let you talk about that, but um, and then I got a hold of your book, The Gospel According to Chubby, which I love that book. I love the title and I love the concept and I love your story. And so what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to just start from the beginning and kind of tell me your background, your story, um, because I think it's vital to uh, giving some courage and giving some uh, faith instilled um courageousness to my audience. So Jeremy, I'm going to let you go and tell your story. Thank you. I, I appreciate the, all the kind words and the opportunity to talk. Yeah. I mean, when, when people hear that I've lost 200 pounds, n- normally three things come to their mind. You know, one, how did you lose it? Mm-hmm. Two, can you help me lose it? <laughs> <laughs> and three, and this isn't always spoken, but it's always thought. It's, Jeremy, help me understand. How in the world did you get so large that you needed to lose that much weight in the first place? Mm -hmm. And so to really understand one and two, I want to just kind of dissect number three. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's, that's the forgotten part of weight loss is understanding how we got here. Hold on one second. I think I did something wrong. Oh, no, it's working. Okay. Okay, good. Keep going. (laughs) <laughs> we're, we're so groundbreaking with this walking podcast right. that we actually broke the, the, we broke technology. We're, we're breaking the internet Yeah, right we're, we're so groundbreaking. Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> scratching his head. He's like, I don't know. These <laughs> algorithms don't make sense. Something in Nashville has gone terribly wrong. <laughs> Anyways, so... <laughs> so for me, you know, I started out as an overweight child. I had an overweight family with the exception of my sister, which if you've got siblings, you've always got the sibling rivalry. And because my sister was skinny and the typical beautiful person, I'd always say she was adopted, <laughs> which, which she didn't appreciate. And I just, I loved food because that's, that's what, you know, when you're young, who doesn't love food? And you're always encouraged to eat because you're going to grow up big and strong. And then <laughs> there, there comes a time though, when being strong and big aren't necessarily exclusive. Right. And for me, it all kind of went down in sixth grade because sixth grade is when hormones happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cause in, in middle school, like there's, or in elementary school, there's some teasing, but everyone's awkward. Everyone's trying to yeah. figure out who they are. But when you right. get to middle school, that's when hormones happen Yes. and attraction happens and social positioning happens. Mm-hmm. And that's where 
you know, my love of food went from like, yay, sugar, to, oh no, maybe, maybe there is something wrong with me. And I also had glass, like I had hipster glasses before they were hipster. So it's like now people are wearing the glasses, like people are getting dates now with the glasses that I used to get punched in the face for. And I'm like, this is fair. Thanks. Thanks. And I had braces. So it was like the triple crown of social inadequacy. Oh, so good. And so what happened was, you know, I started using food as a way of medication. You know, it, it wasn't pornography, it wasn't alcohol, it wasn't drugs. It was food because it was comfortable. And really using sort of sixth grade as, as the pivot point because that's when it became conscious. That's when it became deliberate because my parents were overweight. And they were always trying to, you know, they were always on Jenny Craig or Elliot Weight Loss, always trying to do something to get them healthy. healthy. And I would always do things to circumvent that. Now, did they ever put pressure on you to do those things with you? Did they ever make you feel like you were fat or shame you in any way? No, no, not at all. You know, I think what they were trying to do, and we never really talked about this, so it might be actually good to ask their mentality, Mm -hmm. uh, but what I envision them doing, like any good parent, is they see how much of a struggle being overweight was for them. Mm Mm-hmm. And they wanted to protect me, and they wanted to kind of guard me from that, knowing that, and of course, you know, being 35 now, you know, the younger you are, the more you have your metabolism on your side, the more you have time on your side. It's just, it's easier to get it off the younger you are. It doesn't mean that you can't do it the older you get. It just means you got to do it differently. Mm-hmm. And so I think for them, especially being in that middle, middle age or middle school age era, they were hopefully trying to, to kind of get me to curb it then. Mm-hmm. Knowing that if I lost it, then I'd also grow into who I was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I was having none of that. No. No, no. You, you didn't want that. I did not want that at all because I, I, I was in sixth grade. I was a man. <laughs> Ain't no one going to tell me what to do. <laughs> Eating peanut butter on toast. Who wants that? I want a Big Mac, son. <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, and so they, they would always try and they'd always encourage me. And even in the elementary years, they, they would buy me a bike and they'd do all these things to... You know, creatively make exercise, like, covert. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, all your friends have bikes. Do you want to ride a bike and not watch TV? Like, those little tricks that, you, like, now as a parent, you're like, oh, I see exactly what you're doing. You know, it's like, hey, everyone clean the room. Let's have fun cleaning our room. You're like, what? No. And so I, I think covertly that's what they were trying to do. But no. They never guilted me. They never shamed me. They always loved me for who I was. And maybe to a fault. Maybe that's what let it go so long. But all started really in sixth grade. And the older I got, the more I learned that I was uh, socially unattractive to those around me and and personally unattractive, which made me even more awkward because I was awkward to begin with, and, and which led to more food and more medicating through food mm-hmm. and then we got to high school and then it really just took off from there you know i feel like everyone knows like that one token fat guy in high school who's always making fun of themselves even though they're dying inside mm. that was that was really kind of me i i still remember <laughs> because of my elite coolness i volunteered at the library right in high school because those were the only people who would accept me mm. <laughs> Probably because I had to be quiet, but um, I still remember making jokes because you know I was, you know I was a three hundred pound 
350-pound teenager. And so I had really nice man boobs. Wow. And I remember just playing, like, hide the pencil and just picking up a man boob and flopping it over. Be like, where'd the pencil go? I'm hilarious. <laughs> All the while, like, I was dying inside, but this oh. was the only way I could get attention. Right. And... So you would use your weight as a joke. I would You use- would draw attention to it. Uh, to to gain attention for yourself in some way, but it, but deep down inside, it was killing you doing that. Dude, it really was, and for me, and I didn't know it at the time. I think subconsciously I did, but I didn't want to admit it. It was one of those scenarios where you know I always felt like if I could beat them to the punchline, then I could control the narrative, mm. and if I could soften the blow somehow, then at least my words would never be as vicious or vindictive as their words. Mm. And quite often, I would find that. You know, much like, not to use a hockey reference, but I'm a huge hockey fan. And mm-hmm. If anyone's listening is a huge hockey fan, they may get this. But in, in 1980, the USA Olympic hockey team won the gold medal by beating the Russians. And one of the things that Herb Brooks, the coach, wanted to do that no one else was willing to do was take the Russian game and put it back on them. Mm. Every single team up to that point tried to defend the Russians, and no one could do it. And what Herb Brooks wanted to do was say, you've got it all wrong. Mm-hmm. You don't defend the Russians, you attack them. Mm-hmm. And the team that's willing to do that has a chance to beat them. And he beat them. And I felt like I took on the same psychology with bullying and with people making fun of me. Mm-hmm. Rather than allowing them to bully me, I pre-bullied myself. Mm. And so when they got there, it's kind of like, oh, the work's already done. Yeah, yeah you're fat. I'm like, oh, you're funny. <laughs> <laughs> but all the while, it was like... God, this sucks. Like, this is my existence. Like, this is what I'm... like. This, rather than talking about cool things or cars or typical teenage boy things, I'm going home and thinking of ways to make fun and belittle myself hmm. in a way that kept it okay. Mm-hmm. All the while coming to terms with that and eating. And then I, you know... When I got a job, I'd use all that money for food. And you look back and you're like, where all the money go? Right. And it finally came to a head going into my senior year of high school. My sister, who's four years older than I, was already in college. And my parents wanted to have one last family vacation. Mm-hmm. And so we went to Wildwood, New Jersey. I've been to Wildwood. Yeah, I guess I got some fun boardwalks there. I grew up in New Jersey. Okay, cool. And so, you know, being from Pittsburgh... It was far enough away that it felt like a vacation, but it was still close enough to be a day trip. Right. And so at that time, I still have no idea how it happened, but I'm I'm a huge NASCAR fan. At the time, I was a NASCAR fan, Mm -hmm. which is kind of uncommon for Pittsburghers. Like, you're born, you get a Social Security card, a terrible towel, and that's it. (laughs) And so to be a NASCAR fan, crazy amount of outliering. Right. But I loved it. And so what made this scenario amazing at least initially, was that they had NASCAR-themed go-karts. And so... What, Wildwood did? Yeah, Wildwood did. NASCAR-themed go-karts. They had NASCAR-themed go-karts. Okay. The best that they could to avoid copyright. I mean, they didn't have the sponsors on it, but they had the numbers stylized and the the paintings. And so... Just go back to the very part where you were saying about the NASCAR. And hold it up a little closer. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah, and so they had these NASCAR-themed go-karts. And I was a huge NASCAR fan at the time. I still have no idea how it happened, but I love NASCAR. And so they had the 22 car and the 17 cars, my two favorite drivers at the time. And I get to the front of the line, and it's time to pick my favorite car. The 22 car is available, which is so awesome. 
and I go to get into it, and it's like you fit, but you don't fit. Mm. And it's like five pounds of sugar in a two-pound bag. Oh. Like it, it's if you move it, or or a coffee analogy, like you fill the cream up to the top, but if you stir it, you know it's just going to overflow. Right, right. So there I am, kind of Tyrannosaurus Rexing with these tiny arms trying to <laughs> get the <laughs> get the belt to connect, and it just it can't. And it's already summertime, so I'm sweating. I'm obese, so I'm already sweating to begin with. Mm-hmm. And the attendant comes over, and she tries to help out. And she actually asks me, can you sweat less? Oh. Because I'm just, it's just this, it's a hot mess. Right. It's just, it is. And so this whole thing went on for like 20, 30 minutes. And nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. And nothing attracts a crowd more than a stopped crowd. Mm-hmm. Every, every, I mean, that's why traffic is the way it is. You know, every how many times have you actually seen an accident in the middle of the road? No. Everyone's rubbernecking. Right, right. So it gets the manager's attention. They come over, and he can't get it done. And he basically goes on to lecture me. And I don't, I don't fault him for this because he was overwhelmed too. Right. Like this was the first time, apparently. And he just kind of goes off on me. And he's like, you know, you are the largest person I've ever seen. Like I've never. Yeah. Keep going. I've never. I've never had to turn like I've, I've been coming here as a kid, as a student. I've ran. I'm, I'm running it now, and I've never seen anyone turn away. But you are just the fattest dude I've ever seen. Like, wow! If we can't get these seatbelts to connect, I can't let you ride. Like, I'm, you have to leave. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where it kind of got really real because the entrance was right next to the exit, and vice versa. So it wasn't like I could just escape out the back and pretend like this never happened. Right. So I had to exit right next to this crowd. So there's a line to begin with, and then the ride had been stopped. Wow. Which got people wondering, why is this ride stopped? Mm-hmm. And so I had to do this walk of shame past what some would call my peers. Mm. And I'm sure you can imagine how friendly, you know, New age 13 it's to New Jersey 20 right. New Jerseyers are mm-hmm. in the middle of summer after me making them wait were. And so it was just this line of hate and beratement and because it was a a family vacation my family was there to see it right which made it worse because I always felt like it was one thing to let myself down right but man to let them down Mm. it was just one of those rare moments in life where you you couldn't fail any harder if you tried right and to watch them watch that it just it it was for for me it was life changing because it was either suicide or something had to change because life as I knew it was over. Right. And it wasn't that I didn't like life. I was just bad at it. Mm-hmm. And the glory of the eight-hour drive from New Jersey to Pittsburgh was it gives you a lot of time to think. Mm-hmm. A lot of time to question. Because the... And maybe it's just me, but I feel like the initial response when something catastrophic goes on in your life, the first response is like, why me? Sure. But quite often, you don't ask that with a, like, like why me? Mm-hmm. What did I do to get here? Right. But this time, I actually looked at it with, first, why me? And as I thought about it on the ride home, it was like, well, my gosh, dude, like, you've been circumventing all of the attempts to get you healthy for the past 10, 12 years. Why you? Mm-hmm. Well, because you didn't want it. Because you deliberately put your, yourself in a place to where you were eating. Mm-hmm. 
and you were consistently eating, and you were overeating, and you were using it for comfort, and you were basically abusing food and using it in ways that had never been really intended for. And it wasn't until I understood why and how I was using food and how emotional it had become that I was able to get a hold of it. And the nice thing is there were a lot of shenanigans I used in my early days to keep me overweight. Mm -hmm. And when I got home, I decided to use some of that cleverness to build my own weight loss program. Mm -hmm. Because I was, I, was so, I was so embarrassed that I, I didn't really want to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. But I knew that I needed some help. And, you know, one of the things we did was we met with, we met with an, a nutritionist, which is great, except for it only really worked over the summer. Mm -hmm. Going into high school, you know, if it's pizza day, you can't oh, be like, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, can I have steamed broccoli? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, they, they take off their hair net and they're like, what? Like, that's, what? <laughs> this is pizza day. Mm -hmm. It's not even pizza day. It's like microwave pizza day. Right, right. So it's like the it's it's like the like it's it's only edible enough. Right. It's the worst case it, scenario. It really is. And like, this was before Michelle Obama's campaign. This, this was, you know, this is when like the the, the nutritional pyramid was a thing, and mm -hmm. you know, it's, yeah, carbs, yeah, as much carbs as possible. Yeah, because you never know when you're gonna need them. Right. Like it's like we're all living in Alaska or something. Right. <laughs> and so, but but this got me thinking. Like, okay, let's really start to break this down because. And this was, you know, the, the 1999. Like, this, this is where I get to tell my kids I'm older than the internet. Right, yeah. You know, so whenever they argue with me, I'm like, do you know I'm older than Google? <laughs> Who do you think knows best? <laughs> and so what I started doing was I started, you know, looking at all the stuff I neglected. Like, you know, okay, so all of these nutrition facts are based on a 2,000-calorie diet. Well, I've never tracked calories. What would it look like if I just tracked my calories? Sure. So, I just tracked my calories, and I was eating between, like, 3,500 and 4,000 calories a day. Wow. And it was like, oh, snap. <laughs> no wonder I'm double the size of everyone. I'm sure. eating double the amount of food. Right. And so, the first step that I took was to get to 2,000 calories. Mm -hmm. And finish the day. And, and just finish it. And then, from the 2,000 calorie sort of barometer, it then became a question of, okay, we've got down to 2,000 calories consistent. Now, how can we make the best use of those 2,000 calories? How long did it take you to get to 2,000 calories, though? Because that's about, the battle. Oh, that is. It, and I think... I don't want to say easier. Because <laughs> I don't recommend anyone getting kicked out of an amusement park for being too fat to ride as a way to come to that. But I think whenever you hit rock bottom, mm -hmm. you have so little else other... Like, you're, you're out of options at that yeah, point. Right, right. And so for me... This was part of the change I needed to see. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was about a two to three week period mm -hmm. because, I mean, w I was so disenfranchised of the life I was living mm -hmm. and I didn't realize how bad my life had gotten until I got kicked out. Yeah. So it was the worth, it was worth the pain, the initial maybe two or three days of pain because it is painful to oh. change from where you were. It, it, it was. Describe some of that. Well, and, and I'm, I'm kind of having that conversation now with a, a client of mine who's struggling with texture issues when it comes to fruit and vegetables. Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest challenges with weight loss is you have to choose which discomfort is more discomforting. Right. Because the reality is, mm -hmm. you know, in, in you're going to be uncomfortable staying overweight. Mm -hmm. And that... That plays out differently, whether it's, like, physically uncomfortable because, I mean, jeans are, like, torture devices when you're overweight. Right. The button gets in your stomach, your stomach overflows on you, and, like, that's not fun. Right. 
So that's a complete discomfort. Is that more discomforting than saying, all right, time to be accountable. Mm-hmm. Time to see what actually is going on. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle with. Because that's where I struggled with was the emotional, the mental, the, the mindset. Mm-hmm. And also being able to accept responsibility. Mm-hmm. I feel like back then as a kid, I mean, that's that's what you do as a kid. You're like, it's not my fault. They made me do it. Right, right. And I feel like that's where we're at today. Mm-hmm. Quite often is, you know, it's never my fault. Mm-hmm. But there's so much freedom in gaining control, mm-hmm. in saying that, you know what, I might be the problem, mm-hmm. but if that's the case, oh my gosh, I'm also the solution, and yeah. that is awesome. That's a blessing, yeah. That's a huge blessing, but that's one of the biggest challenges I think that anyone face, because no one really likes to be told that they're doing something wrong or have that revealed to them. Right. However, once you realize that, you then have a concrete method to say, all right, X, Y, and Z led me here. Mm-hmm. Let's start with X, Y, and Z and see what changes can happen. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think just the the, the full shock of the go-kart scenario, the sticker shock of understanding just how much I was consuming. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, back in those days, when you went to Burger King, or, yeah, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, it's all the same, really, but when you, when you went to a fast food establishment, you got a number one. Mm-hmm. Not Subway, though. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Jared. I know, I know, right? Mm-hmm. But, so, point being, they never had any of the calories listed. They never had any of all this stuff. Yep. Like, now, <laughs> like, they just, op- so Zaxby's are becoming a thing, and, like, if you go to Zaxby's, they have, their like, their kid's meal is, like, 1,200 calories <laughs> for a kid's meal. Like, I ran the, the Murfreesboro middle half, <laughs> and I was, I was so depleted, I couldn't bring myself to eating it. I was like, I, I just ran a half marathon, and I can't even eat Zaxby's. Like, hopefully you're not sponsored by Zaxby's. No, sorry, not Zaxby's. yet. We don't have any sponsors <laughs> well, right this, now. <laughs> I am doing my best to ensure, apparently, that if they hear this, you will never be sponsored okay. by Zaxby's. Okay. But, yeah, like, they're, they're anyways... That's one meal. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're eating three of those, yeah. or four of those a day, it's easy to see how you can get to 3,000, 4,000 calories, but unless right. you're aware of it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, internalizing the sticker shock and being like, oh my gosh, like that's, a, what? Mm-hmm. That made it a lot easier, because that became, that opened up the conversation of, well, what's possible? Right. And I think the excitement of, and this is all, and, and we'll, probably get into this later too but you know one of the things that has kept me sane and that I always think is one of the biggest secrets in weight loss and I use the word secret very loosely but everyone likes to focus not everyone but an overwhelming majority of people like to focus on what they can't do and use that as the reason but if you just focus on what you can do Mm -hmm. oh my gosh the possibilities you know I can't go to the gym well that's great can you walk for 30 minutes I guess Mm -hmm. awesome you walk for 30 minutes a day you are leaps and bounds above what most people are doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that was kind of my mentality with the food. So I'm a habitual soda drinker. Mountain Dew was my thing for the longest time. But when I realized that 300 calories from a soda could get me like a buffet of fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. it was like, well, the economy of this doesn't make sense. Right. Like, right. Of course. It's like trading a shovel for a house. Mm-hmm. You're like, why, why wouldn't you do that? Mm-hmm. And when I started seeing things through the lens of not what I can't have, but what I can have, it made the mental and emotional transition a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just being honest, you know, the first few weeks, 
all I did was I got to 2,000 calories and drank only water, and I lost like 20, 30 pounds in a month hmm. because of just how much I was eating. Right. And what's phenomenal is, you know, when I work with my clients, the amount of success they see just from laundering and just from drinking water and even just from doing what's average. Right. I've seen people lose 50 pounds in three months because they're so far off the path. Right. And so for me, that's there's so much power in awareness. There's so much power in bringing yourself to the place where you're okay to say, all right, what am I doing? Yeah. What do I need to change? And which discomfort is more important to me? Well, I think it, it just goes to say that uh, what you measure, I think there's a phrase, something like what you measure gets, gets taken care of. You know, it, it gets, it gets changed. It changes. Yeah. Uh, because it, you know, it, there's, there's, you just first have to start keeping a log, being aware, uh, constantly re- reminding yourself of what you're, I guess, uh, what you focus on is what gets, gets affected. You know, there's a better phrase out there and I'm, 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 uh, we'll Google it. I'm, uh, yeah, I'll, we'll Google it. We'll Google it. But, um, I think this is a good place to finish for today. But we have a whole nother part of this. I want to continue the story because we haven't even talked about we, right now. You were like what three hundred fifty pounds, yeah. and then you lost thirty pounds in the first month, yeah. and you were at three hundred and twenty. Let's just count it down. Right. So, uh, and you don't look anywhere close to three hundred twenty pounds. Yeah. So we have uh, a lot more pounds to go, and a lot more to this story. So uh, let's try to lose a pound a minute in uh, tomorrow. <laughs> And um, we're feeling pretty good. We're not out of breath. We're, no, we're feeling good. good. I was more scared of that hornets because uh, <laughs> the thing about hornets is they don't die when they sting you. They're just relentless. Exactly. And we are relentless in, in our pursuit of discussing all of this. So, uh, guys, this is Eric Nordoff and Jeremy Rochford. We are out and doing our walk and talk. We'll be back again tomorrow on the next episode of Courage Cast. Courage Cast.